Retro Hangover supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We'd especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Stunt Still Smash the Milkman, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Mast Keaton, Andrew Laguori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Keith Gasper, Disky Mera, Dave Jackson, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, and Kayla Jackson. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. and classic gamers welcome to the podcast where we lunge like lunatics licking lunar loony legends locally this is retro hangover i am your co-host chris copeline with special guest Corey from my life in gaming and here's my question for you podcast and as always your host shane diamond dick Dragon Master Koski. That's right. Always try to uh, lick locally sourced loonies if you can. Support local businesses. Yes. I need to know how much you practiced that before recording that just now. Were you oh, like didn't. ramping up to it the last couple no, days? Like. You'd be amazed. I, I regularly screw that up. <laughs> I have to at least do two or three takes of it. That's true. So I, I'm I'm quite happy with that one. You just ride high on the the excitement. I guess this time just made it all fall into place. Because I am I am excited to talk about this game. <laughs> I'm very excited. Me too. Welcome back to the podcast, Corey. This time it's we're we're not talking about Wangs. So there is that. Yeah, <laughs> that's an improvement. Nor are we like pitting two games against each other. Hmm. Ooh, Lunar versus Dragon Wang. There are dragons in both. <laughs> well, not really, but sort of. Well, Lunar has more dragons, and, but who knows how many Wangs there are in, in Lunar, I mean. One may never know. Yes. I say, g- given, given the either explicit or implied ages of a lot of the people involved in, the, in Lunar, I think I'd rather not know for legal reasons. <laughs> That's true. I'm talking more about the dragons themselves. Ah, the actual Dragon Wangs. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, there's four that we know of. Well, Quark is old and, and wrinkled <laughs> as, as an actual dragon. And if you look at it, <laughs> what, does that preclude him from having said Wang? Like what happens? Does it, does it fall off? Do they molt? I, I don't know. Apparently the, the diamonds get stronger when they shit. So there's, there's <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we've already taken this completely off course. Yes. Off the rails. Just like that. Three minutes in. As tradition. But as we are wont to do, speaking of things we are wont to do, before we get into our game du jour, which is Lunar the Silver Star for the Sega CD, we'd like to talk about the games we have been playing recently. So as is tradition once again, our guest starts off with what games they have been playing recently. So Corey, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? Uh, Outside of Lunar? Well, 
you know, it's the end of the year and we're busy prepping uh, our the games we played in, you know, the year. It's which is like our our year end video is always a video is a com- compilation of games that we played throughout the year. That's not like just from this year, but from, you know, they they can be from any time. Uh so I don't play a lot of games because this this is like really crunch time for that, but I've been I've been dabbling in uh Returnal on mm. the uh, PS5. And I'm not even a big roguelike fan, and I think it's awesome. It is just really, really fun. I want to mess around a bit more with, with the, uh, the co-op in that because you just play one round with somebody else, you know, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, other than that, I've really appreciated the, the mission-based structure of Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core or Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. Mm. I played it on the, on the PSP years and years ago, and uh, I think I actually beat that game, game on the PSP on the flight back from my honeymoon. I remember almost nothing about it. And I'm really just appreciating the fact that I can sit down and just play it for an hour. And it's just like broken up into these bite-sized chunks. And that's about it. I didn't know it was broken up like that. It's like broken up into chapters or something? Yeah, it's broken up into chapters. And there's also like these side missions you can do that basically you just pick it from a save point and you can just like load it. And it's just you fight a few battles and you get an item and it takes you back. It's just, it just plays up. Uh, you, you can tell that it's a, it was originally a portable game because of that and it's it's really nice especially when you know you're doing a lot of other things you know you got a lot of other stuff going on and you just don't have large chunks of time for playing games for fun you've certainly piqued my interest because i do like little bite-sized adventures well i mean it's 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 okay i mean if you if you'd never played on the psp i mean are you a big final fantasy 7 fan I have my are, feelings. Are you, Chris? <laughs> Final Fantasy VII Remake. I don't think I've said this here on the show. I think I've said it at least in the Discord. Final Fantasy VII Remake, I think, is my favorite game from the, the PS4 generation as mm-hmm. a whole. That's, that's totally understandable. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII, I have a love-hate relationship with. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Uh, like In terms of like the entire Final Fantasy VII universe, I, I just think it's confusing. and I think yes. it's just bloated. But I'm all up for a good game, and um, mm-hmm. I, I could probably stomach a little bit of Zach action. Yeah, you know, it. <laughs> Zach's a lot more obnoxious than I remember him being. Just a lot of the characters are kind of obnoxious in it. Uh, you know, I, I was, this is like off the rails, especially more <laughs> at this point, but I was just thinking a lot about how, you know, Final Fantasy VI is my favorite in the series. And that is one one of the games in the series that has not had any kind of side stories or sequels or prequels or spinoffs or anything. And I wonder if it perseveres as my favorite because it hasn't had any of that stuff. And I wonder if now with Final Fantasy VII, and I'm just like, I'm just coming to this realization that that we know too much about it. Mm. We know about everything. And I think one of the reasons Remake was actually pretty good. And this is somebody, I didn't like Remake when I first finished it. And I came to appreciate it over time. But if you finish that, then you know that it, it basically reintroduces like a mystique to the whole thing. Like you don't know what's going to happen anymore. And I think that that's probably goes a long way into making the series more interesting again. I could definitely agree with that because I like I like that, that aspect of that game that a lot of people put it down for. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm kind of interested where they go with it. I'm also not because... <laughs> yeah yeah it's is it'll be it's gonna be interesting because this next one's gonna make or break it yeah definitely shane yes what have you been playing 
what have I been playing? Uh, you know, honestly, I, I think at least the last couple of episodes, I think I've said the same thing, uh, unfortunately, but I just really haven't been playing too much. Just haven't had the time. The holidays have been kind of busy. I mean, hell, I've been trying to shoehorn in time to play the game du jour just so that I could sit here and talk <laughs> intelligently with the two of you about it. Um, that remains to be seen how successful that's going to be. But let's see, outside of that, I got a little bit more time in on the co-op game that I've been playing with my friends on Steam about the the ghost hunting. But I think we only did that like once. I think that was it. And then outside of that, I did get a little bit more time in on my Elden Ring run. Um, still haven't actually finished that game yet. But now that we're over somewhat of a hump with the the content for the show might be able to circle up back around to that and get some more time in on it. Um, especially now that I've got my character build in a place that I like it at. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. But I think other than that, it's just been a little bit of a smattering of some mobile games, just like in between here and there. That's kind of the life now. Like that's part of the reason when Corey, you mentioned the thing about bite-sized games. I have to appreciate that. I've come to appreciate that a lot more as I've gotten older, just because mm -hmm. I don't generally have the time to you know, sit down for like six hours or something and just get into a game like I used to slash wish I still could. So I think a lot of those just like experiences that you can get in, get like 15 minutes or whatever, and then feel like you've accomplished something mm -hmm. that really speaks to me now. Unsolicited shout out, by the way, to a little game called Necro Merger. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. There's a lot of merging games out there that are just trash, like on the app store, because it's one of the, like the really low effort sorts of games that you can put together. It's like it's up there with like match three games like anybody can do that. And most of them aren't great, arguably. But Necro Merger is actually really well done. It's a lot of fun. It's got a fantastic like pixel art style and the gameplay loop of it is very similar to a lot of idle games in that you get to a certain point where you sort of prestige quote unquote and start the run over again but with permanent buffs that you've accumulated from your previous run and plus they've got like extra stuff like seasonal things that you can do and these little side games and everything and it's actually a really well put together little package so if you're ever interested in something that you can play on your phone pretty lightweight and you can get in for a few minutes and feel like you've done something highly recommend necro merger that's pretty much it for me for right now so uh so chris what what have you been doing besides the lunar i played a little bit of soul feast hoping i could get through that and i could beat it and it made me cry and i got frustrated <laughs> and uh because i haven't played shmups in a long time especially ones with actual difficulty uh so i i gave that a good college effort and uh moved on it's a, it's a good game it is a good game i i love the soundtrack in it if you're curious of what happens at the end, you can actually like listen to the ending audio on like if you go into the CD interface. Really? OK, <laughs> it's probably is it Red Book Audio? Yes. Yeah. OK, I think it's uh, is it Matoi Sakuraba's first soundtrack? I don't know if it was his first, but I remember hearing a few years ago that he that he was the one that did the soundtrack for it. And I was I was I was surprised. Yes, it's, you know, it's, it's such a it's a good soundtrack. It's not a mess. So. <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> true uh you know so sakura but he's the one that does the does like the tales and everything right yeah so <laughs> try has a has a very funny thing that he says about his his soundtrack specifically that they that they're just this, a, a cacophony 
of epic sounds that is just <laughs> like is, sounds like nonsense at this point. It all sounds the same. <laughs> he can write a battle track, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, I love really the, good battle tracks. The Valkyrie profile one was is a personal favorite. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the other game I've been playing was actually thematically once you get to a certain point in that game. Hopefully I'm not spoiling too much uh, is E7 for the PSP. Oh, OK. I think I've made it about halfway through that game. I didn't really like the way it started out just because mm-hmm. I did not like Celsetta at all. And oh, okay. well, I won't say at all. I thought it was just that was like just kind of blah. I think it was just disappointed because I played East f- both of the East fours and they're like, yeah, it's the same plot as that. And it's totally not. So <laughs> right. I think I was just kind of let down by that. But I started getting into it, it's like, oh, no, it's going to be Celsetta again. I don't really like the party system. But overall, like I've really gotten to the point now that the battle system's more fleshed out mm-hmm. uh, i've learned more of the battle mechanics uh the dungeons are still kind of long kind of drawn out a lot yeah. of backtracking in them that I, I don't really care for but the boss fights are epic and of course the soundtrack is just out of this world mm-hmm. so i'm looking forward to wrapping that up eventually getting to east eight because i've heard nothing but good things about east yeah, eight i mean that's that's my favorite one takes that three-party system but like makes it fully 3d you know puts you on a, gl- a ground level and it works works pretty well although you know i just prefer to play as it all like all the time if i can i agree and that's i, I don't like that part either it's like no you have to swap i don't want to swap yeah i don't like these other characters they're weird <laughs> especially dogi dogi looks really weird in e7 like yeah. he has this big square jaws like Ugh. well i i like that look a lot more for him because when you get to eight he's like Oh, he's totally has Bondo material. Yeah, he, he's like, he's like all hot and everything. Yeah. And he's just like walking around like with his like, I don't know, like his hips, you know, his like his. his... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. It's funny. Look because at this I'm like, guy well, with his Elvis hips. <laughs> he just like walks around and it's like, this doesn't feel anything like, uh, you know, as he should. But, you know, you know, you'll when you get to it, you'll know, you'll you'll see. I've seen I've seen pictures. He looks like uh, the beautiful Gaston. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's 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 a good from Beauty and the Beast. Is that what you're talking? Yes, about? yes. Okay, yeah. He goes from Gaston in in seven to the beautiful Gaston. <laughs> well, I I'm looking forward to hearing what you say. So, so you've like made it halfway through. So you've gotten to like is like the plot changed at all? Yes. Okay. Yes. Certain people died. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure out who did the killing of the person who died. Nice. All right. That's all I got, Shane. Well, at some point, a, a certain person got me a copy of East Origin, so I've got to get into yes. that at some point soon. So, Game of the year. I suppose, with that being said, we should probably get into the, the, the game du jour, the reason we are here, which is, of course, Lunar, the Silver Star, or Silver Star Story Complete, if you happen to be playing that version, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But Chris, would you like to give the fine people at home A little brief history on Lunar. Introduction of the compact disc as a form of media delivery into gaming created a lot of promise and potential for the future of the industry. Since its inception, video games had been delivered on cartridges into the early 90s. 
especially on the home console market where gaming flourished. While this didn't necessarily mean games were simple, due to size constraints, aspects of the audio and visual presentation had been somewhat limited. All audio was relegated to the system's chipset, and if a game had any form of animated cutscene, it would be a choppy, grainy, and compressed experience. NEC introduced the PC Engine CD on December 4th, 1988 in Japan, the home gaming console landscape would begin to change. Sega Nintendo would also have CD add-ons for their 16-bit consoles in the works, seeing the potential of 650 megabytes of storage and the possibilities it could have moving forward. While Nintendo would infamously flame out on those plans, Sega did get their add-on, the Mega CD or Sega CD to market in Japan in late 1991, with a North American release about a year later. While the initial slate of games, particularly in North America, would focus on the full motion video capabilities and creations you can make with them, there was a genre that Sega was sorely lacking in that was finding massive amounts of love on the new format. RPGs. Game Arts, a semi-prolific Japanese developer, saw the massive success that RPGs were having in its home country and wanted to stake a claim of their own. Having mostly worked on the PC-88, Game Arts would get some initial familiarity on the Mega Drive when the obscure Japanese-only game followed by Alicia Dragoon. After that, they formed a subsidiary company called Studio Alex to specifically work on their first full-fledged RPG. Studio Alex hired Kei Shigema, a Japanese novelist and scenario writer, to pen the story. The goal was to make an RPG that just didn't have a story, but told a story. Something that the developers believed was lacking in most games at the time. They believed the CD format would help better accomplish this vision by being able to add video sequences and voiceovers. Something you couldn't do on your standard cartridge of the era. The battle system would be turn-based, like most 16-bit RPGs, but it would also have characters move across the screen and include positioning as an additional consideration in strategic planning. On June 26, 1992, Japan would see the release of Lunar, the Silver Star, for the Mega CD. Even though Sega had never fully established a foothold in Japan, Lunar would sell over 100,000 copies and sell out its entire Japanese production run within its first year. While 100,000 copies may not sound like much in the big picture, that was comparable to the total amount of Mega CDs sold within the region. Unsurprisingly, it became the best-selling Mega CD in Japan, even ahead of Sonic CD. Shortly after release, a small TurboGrafx localization publisher, Working Designs, acquired the rights to release the game in North America. Working Designs would make several decisions that would become something of a hallmark for them, including changing game details, increasing difficulty, and creating premium packaging. They would also put in some of their contemporary humor into the game's script, something they are loved or loathed for. The North American release on December 1st, 1993, would be met with critical acclaim, with even one publication, GameFan, calling it the best RPG of that year. 
While sales numbers are hard to pin down, it was enough to solidify Lunar as the second best-selling Sega CD game ever, once again behind Sonic CD. And it also somewhat established Working Designs as a notable publisher among RPG fans until they gained greater prominence with Lunar's remake, Silver Star Story Complete. Lunar the Silver Star's success would see a direct sequel with Lunar Eternal Blue, as well as an offshoot title on the Game Gear and Nintendo DS, which we don't talk about. The game would also be remade several times for the Sega Saturn and PS1 as Lunar Silver Star Story, the Game Boy Advance as Lunar Legend, and lastly on the PlayStation Portable as Lunar Silver Star Harmony. And that is your brief history of Lunar the Silver Star. All right. Thank you, Chris, for that brief history. And from what I have seen, uh, all accounts point to just completely avoiding the Legends version on the Game Boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. It's it has a lot of cut stuff, but I've never actually finished it personally. So I, I do have it, but I've never finished it. Heard that they pared it down significantly. Yeah, I have tried to avoid it at all costs, <laughs> not because I, I necessarily think it's bad. It just looks like Baby's First Lunar, which yeah fine but <laughs> nah i'll skip yeah i feel like it's if that's if that's the only way that you can play lunar then fine but there are so many better ways to experience the game yeah absolutely i mean even just emulating at this point be a better experience than that true <laughs> so our first section that we get into here is our own personal history of what we have with this game uh, we'll kick this off with Shane and we'll let Corey tell his story <laughs> last among the three of us, because uh, I think it's the timing with it is quite epic on how we're doing this episode. <laughs> so, uh, Shane, what's your personal history with this? I'll give you three guesses. I, I don't even need it. You, you have no personal experience. Oh, you're so good, man. <laughs> I know. I'm only giving you one. <laughs> Listen, man, like anybody who's listened to the show long enough, you could probably just assume that if it's a JRPG, then there's probably a pretty good chance I have had zero experience with it whatsoever. I just not purposefully not trying to like explicitly swerve JRPGs, but it just they just never really landed on my radar. And I mean, also, it's just it's a Sega CD who 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 I ask who had that? <laughs> no one. Yeah, well, I people. know you did, Chris, but like, no, <laughs> no one I knew had that. No one even knew what it was. So, I mean, and I'm sure we'll get into that at some point in this conversation, but I think that that was definitely a huge factor in why, like, seems like practically no one, at least comparatively to a lot of its contemporaries, had any idea what Lunar even is or was, mm. um, was just being relegated to a system that, you know, nobody had. Yeah, no, I, I actually had no context for this whatsoever. And then it was floated across that we were going to be doing an episode about it. And <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I need to play this. All right, cool. <laughs> and uh, here we are. <laughs> so that's it. That's my story. Cool. So your context is, I guess, the last couple weeks or last week or whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, OK. Corey, give me a little bit more credit than that. The last week, he's like, I don't know. You played it last night. That's that's it. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, it's been. It's actually, if you see our backlog of streams, like we, I start, I started. How long ago was it? I started playing this like what a couple of months ago, at least. Right after we got done recording Dragon Wang. 
Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> it was right after that. Yeah. And then I took a huge hiatus from it. Mm-hmm. And then I've been playing it on and off for the past like month or so. So that's that's the context that I have to work with. Okay. I mean, so you 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 played further into it more recently than I have, at least. Which is will help a lot. I will you know what? I'll take that, yes. So my personal experience is uh, in 1993, and this game came out, I did not have a Sega CD, like everyone, according to Shane, <laughs> just like probably Corey at that point. <laughs> it was like 1995 or so when I was really first starting to get into RPGs. I just, you know, started playing Final Fantasy three on the Super Nintendo. And because Final Fantasy was was everything in my life at that point, like I just discovered it and it was just like, oh, RPGs, this is incredible. What I've been doing with my life. <laughs> and I made a friend in middle school. And I, I went over to his house a lot, like on the weekends and hung out with him and he had a Sega CD. And then I saw Lunar and I recognized it immediately because I remember in all the gaming magazines, there's always an advertisement for it. This mm-hmm. game is like heavily advertised, like EGM, GamePro, all of them. And I never found it interesting at the time because it's like, is this like some sort of Russian culture game? Because you have... <laughs> Like Luna's in her like like fur skirt with like the the, mm-hmm. the sheep's wool at the bottom and like just the attire they're wearing, you know, like Alex has his little commie cover on and like, oh, they're 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 all Russian. If you don't know what a commie cover is, it's like those those Russian hats. When mm-hmm. I was pushing boots, we we could wear them and that was the common term. They're all black. And anyway, we we call them commie covers. It's like, what is all this like this Russian weird game? Like, I'm not interested in this. I have no idea what this is. But then I went over to his house. He's like, oh no, it's an RPG. And I'm like, oh, okay, I like RPGs. I'll give it a try. And he had a he had a nice like little strategy guide. I remember it was kind of like this this orange kind of color to it that I found out was pretty common with the game. If you had the game back in the day, like a lot of people had the strategy guide. And he just he's like, hey, do you do you want to play? So I started playing at his house, and of course I nagged my dad, and I was like, hey, uh, can like this game looks awesome? I'm having a great time with it. And he's like, okay, well, cool. And he's like. Was like so for Christmas or my birthday or something like that. Like I, I like a Sega CD and Lunar. And he's like, okay. So we went to a EB Games, and he just had me sit in the car. And he comes back out with the Sega CDX, uh, Lunar One, Lunar Two, and Vi. And wow. he's like, he's like, oh, you know, uh, these are I found a great deal on this. I mean, this was like 1996, so you had to think like no one wanted a Sega CD at that point. Like it was the plague. Well, not quite as bad as the 32X, but it's pretty bad. And you saw him, saw him walking towards you and knocked it out of his hand. And you said, you didn't get Popful Mail, too? Come on. You're like, go on. Go on, get. <laughs> Man, I wish I had Popful Mail. Oh, never, I've never had that or played that game. I need to get to that. That's on our schedule. <laughs> it is. Oh, it is. It's a good one. So, yeah, after that, my friend let me borrow his guide. And I played through, I played through Lunar. Mm-hmm. I didn't have one of the original art form discs. I had one of the more limited ones because they came out with the second release, right? Which had a uh, different prints on the cover from mm-hmm. from the first release, which is I didn't even know that at the time. I didn't know that until like a couple years later. But I uh, played all the way through it. I really loved the game. It became one of my favorite RPGs of that time. I liked it more than the sequel for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, which don't really anymore. We'll get into that. But for the longest time, I'm like I like yeah. It was, one of my favorite RPGs, and I swore by it. I was even writing fan fiction for it in middle school. Oh, wow. I'm trying to write a story about happened on the, like, I know you're rolling your eyes. Uh, like, something like happened like a thousand or a couple thousand years before 
the first lunar game on the blue star and how they would end up uh how they ended up on the silver star or something which i still think should be a game oh absolutely game arts. yeah i mean i i would love to see something like that but i'm not sure if i have any faith in actually being done i have about as no. much faith as that being done well as i do for sega to make fantasy star 5 yeah i 100% agree fantasy star 5 is guys of arcadia though so there's yeah, that that's true kind of <laughs> it, it may as well be yeah that's my history with lunar so yeah i mean it's a ne- game near and dear to my heart so uh with that segue Corey, which what's your history with Lunar Silver Star? So I got this game for Christmas in 1993. Uh, I had been following it in magazines, not super closely, but I recognized that I, w- I would basically play any RPG that I could get for like a Sega system because I was grew up a Sega kid. I may have had I, I guess I would probably have a Super Nintendo. I've just gotten a Super Nintendo that I bought mowing lawns and stuff because I had to get Street Fighter 2. But anyways, I got a Sega CD for Christmas in 92 and very few games. I I didn't buy very many games throughout the next year. Uh, But then I saw Lunar sitting at EB Games or Electronics Boutique when we were like doing Christmas shopping with with my mom. And I'm like, I I think I want this one for Christmas. Will you buy this one? I was like not excited about it. I wasn't thinking about it much. And then, you know, I played it Christmas night and it just it absolutely floored me. Like, I, I cannot think of another time or up to that point, I had not played a game where the writing felt like I, they were real people. Mm. Like, I just felt like these were real people talking. It wasn't just like a direct translation, you know, in like, like broken English to like get the point across. These are like real people who had real, real relationships with each other, you know, playing off each other, talking to each other within the party. It's just, it just amazed me. Even just like the vocal song, like when you first booted up amazed me you know i hadn't played a game that had a song like that like with with actual lyrics like i'd never because i didn't have any i mean i never played like a turbo graphics cd until like much later but you know like i played it every night and i i love the experience so much that i would only allow myself to play it like after eight o'clock because i was so afraid I, I didn't want the experience to end so i did that as a way to draw it out as long as i could and uh, I mean, there's very few games that I can that I can pinpoint that gave me this give me the same feelings as as this does. You know, it's only like Fantasy Star One, which was a whole different reason. But mm-hmm. in Skies of Arcadia, like those are top five games for me. And they just mm-hmm. made the, that big of an impression. <laughs> and I made it, I made a big deal about this last couple of days because I just thought it was like really funny. But so revisiting this game for this podcast i was i was playing the exact version of the my exact same game on the exact same system exactly 29 years ago or 29 years later from the first time that i played it i just thought that was kind of a neat timing thing with like doing this this podcast also it's like yeah yeah it's been 29 years 29 years ago right this moment i was playing it that's so wild (laughs) We did not time it like this, by the way, just just for reference. We didn't be like, let's let's do it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 amazing how that just lined up. Yeah. And how how big of a game it was for you. That's that's incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is, you know, definitely top five of all time for me. And we'll get into it. I still think it like holds up mm-hmm. extremely well. All right. All right. There you go. We can wrap the episode. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> that's it. It's good. <laughs> 
All right. So uh, what you did say, I think that's a good segue. And I think we'll mm-hmm. stay with you, Corey, into the game's story, its plot, its writing, because you're talking about how the uh, relatability of the characters and how that struck a chord with you. So what do you think of Lunar's plot and writing? You know, a lot of people go on and on about, you know, I don't like working designs translation. Like there is not very many like contemporary jokes in this game. People always mention the Bill Clinton thing that is said by an NPC that's like not even somebody you even have to talk about. There's like little things like here and there, like, oh, that's why I eat my Wheaties. You know, it's just like stuff like that, that I think, you know, as a 15 year old at the time, you know, like that just helped me relate more to it, I guess. It's like, hey, Mm -hmm. they're taking this stuff that, that I know of, that I know about, you know? So it just, it felt, I don't know, just more like accessible, I guess, to me. But this is... The first game that I played, the it's like a, a style of RPG that I like to, you know, I always think of it like it starts out like, hey, it's a bunch of kids, let, let's go on an adventure. And it's just like, it makes me think of like when I'm a kid, like going and getting lost in the woods for the day. And then, you know, but like, what if you went and got lost in the woods one day and you ended up discovering something and it leaded to saving the world? Mm. Where it's just, you know, it feels like a little adventure for kids. And then suddenly it just blows up and becomes, you know, like this world threatening event. There's, there's very few games like Skies of Arcadia is another one that does that. And uh, Grandia, the first one does that. Yes. You know, there's very few games that I can think of that really nail that feel. Probably throw Earthbound in there too. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that is a very good one as well. I think, I think it does it better than Earthbound. I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's just because it's more unassuming. Yeah. Uh, in, in the beginning and in the, in the way they they talk about it, because mm-hmm. like you start out, I mean, you're you're, you're Alex, you, you know, you're, you're at your hero's grave and all you really want to do at the beginning of the game is just go get a diamond. Yeah. So you can be filthy rich. Exactly. You're not doing it because, I mean, Alex wants to be a, a hero, much like his hero Dine was. Mm-hmm. But when you go get the the diamond from the cave, it's not because there's any real impetus to do it other than make money. And he's just taking along with the friend who wants to make money. And you don't leave the town because you want to get outside the town. You leave the town because your town can't sell the diamond. Right. So like the entire first 10th of this game is just trying to get off the Island to sell a diamond. It's not to do anything more than that. The thing is, is that a lot of RPGs don't really develop. That is just this kind of innocence that Lunar does in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really critical when you like, you don't notice it while you're playing, but when you step back and look at the whole picture, it really is a, a great coming of age story that to Earthbound's detriment, which is fantastic, by the way, I don't want to take anything away from Earthbound, but to Earthbound's detriment is just a little too silly to really be, I think, a serious coming of age story. Not saying it isn't, not saying it is it's a bad one, but it's why I think I like Lunars a little bit more. Yeah, like in a way, like Earthbound always feels kind of like it's like an acid trip. Yeah, yes, that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's one part where you're walking through the desert. The first I I didn't play this game until I was until I was uh, in my I guess my late twenties. And there's one part where you're walking through the desert, like you're the bus breaks down and you're walking around, and there's just like a a shack, and it just says drugs. And I'm like <laughs> that that signs uh, that like <laughs> signifies this entire game. It sums up the entire game right there. Oh yeah. But the the plot, like it, you know, it just like expand expands and blows up by the end. And uh, spoiler is completely open in this. Is it okay if we? Here it is. Spoiler. If okay. you if you don't want to hear anything, uh, if you don't want to hear any spoilers about Lunar Silver Star, skip ahead about <laughs> ten minutes. There you go. 
when I first played this, I had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't even think, I, li- I love the fact that Alex doesn't even become a dragon master until like the very end of the game. And right. And like, I had no idea that Galleon was going to be a bad guy. I had no idea that Luna was going to be Althena. It was just like, when I played this, you know, and there, there was something about playing this game at a time where you couldn't access any of this stuff on the internet very easily, I guess. And I didn't have any hint book or anything like that. So all this stuff is just stuff I had no idea was going to happen. And, uh, I mean, I almost feel like that's something that is, it's very difficult to replicate playing it today. That's actually something I made a note of is that the galleon twist, Mm -hmm. uh, that when you figure out galleon's a bad guy on the initial playthrough, I had no idea either. I think it's one of the best executed twists. Mm -hmm. If you're going into it blind within an earlier RPG, because by that point you had seen twists in in your RPGs. Final Fantasy IV had already done it, right? With uh, with Kind doing it about you know three or four times in that game, or <laughs> however many times he did it. Yeah, but it's it's kind of like you don't really. It's more impactful here because this is supposed to be a character that you trust, and this is supposed to be an elder, and this is supposed to be mm-hmm. a mentor, someone who's supposed to and be guiding hero. you. And a well, hero. And a hero. I say he's one of one of the four like legendary heroes. Yeah. Yes. And you just you don't expect him to to turn the way that he does. And that is something that I think that is lost a lot with uh, Silver Star Story Complete. Yes. Is that, that that kind of stuff is telegraphed a lot earlier, and uh, especially with the, the Silver Star Harmony on the PSP that has, like, the whole prequel bit that, I mean, it just, like, spoils all that stuff. It's way too on the nose. The, it, yeah. The remake, Silver Star Story, and everything beyond that, the story is written and the, the script is in such a way that it assumes that the player has already played the original. Yes. And or, you, or you've seen you, pictures and know or read something and know that the stuff like that he is the bad guy on the cover. Althena is right there and it's Luna. Yes. <laughs> on the Silver Star story complete cover. So, yeah, they, they do give a lot away there, which is unfortunate because that that wasn't telegraphed like at all in the original uh, Silver Star story. Shame. As someone coming in fresh to the game, even now, um, you know, I can definitely confirm what both of you are saying is that I, I had no idea that was coming either. And I think it's it was interesting because it was far more impactful because not only is it someone that you would least expect, but also it was just so abrupt. And I think right. that in conjunction with you know, the, the, the implementation of the, the cutscenes in this game, that was not necessarily something that was super common at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, having that cutscene, I think you just sort of ratcheted that up as well, because you, you know, this, you had, you met, this was one of the first, you know, semi major characters that you had met even in your, your little like diamond heist, right? You, you meet mm-hmm. Orc and you're like, holy shit, it's a dragon. That's amazing. And he seems pretty cool and he thinks I should be a dragon master. And then you go out and you start doing your thing and then you meet Galleon and you're like, oh my God, he's like a hero and he's like the closest thing I'm probably going to get to dying. So that's pretty neat. <laughs> and then like, you're all about this and you're just like, yeah, let's go talk to Quark. Like we're all like old buddies. And then you roll in there and Galleon's just like, fuck you. <laughs> and you're just like, what? And then of course, like the cutscene after that with, with Quark just like all bloodied and just like coughing and being like, mm-hmm. you have to go do this now. Like shit gets real in like two seconds. 
Yeah. You know, so I did really appreciate the execution of that. I don't think it's quite at the level of of Final Fantasies when it ter- in terms of storytelling. I think you look at like this is Game Art's first RPG though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yuji Hori is is a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Hironobu Sakaguchi is a storyteller. So by this point, Dragon Quest V, Final Fantasy V, they're out. They're incredible stories. They might not be as good as like Final Fantasy sixes, but they're still really really good stories. And I'd say that they're they're better than Lunar's. But you're looking at like a virgin effort in terms of what they're putting out there on the market. And I would say, I would say it was still like better than 90% of every other RPG's story in terms of how it told it. Yes. Maybe not when you dig into the lore, but in terms of like the relatability you say in the script, yes, there's some contemporary working designs isms. It's not as bad as like you get with eternal blue and, and silver star story. Right. complete. They were having fun with it. It wasn't like, Oh, people like this or we need to do this. It doesn't feel forced in a way. It felt natural. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, kind of. yeah, I well, I, I mean, they're, they're just like throwing it in there. It's like, Oh, you know, here's some person who's not even, you know, that you don't even have to talk to. You might not even talk to him at all. And like, we'll just have him say something. That, that is a good point. Actually. Now that I think about it, I think every like weird anachronism was probably just a one-off NPC somewhere. Like I remember making that note in the discord with Chris when I was playing through it. And I was like, there is a man talking to me about Barney VHS tapes in this game. What is going on? <laughs> but I mean, when you when you have to write all this stuff, you know, and you get townspeople that essentially saying the same thing over and over again, you know, they just decided to have some fun with it and put some like other like things that like their audience would know. Right. Yeah. For the record, I'm not against it. I actually really appreciate it. I think I think the putting their own like personality on the dialogue translation i appreciated it mm-hmm. for sure and the interesting thing about that is i think it's like one of those little nuggets of info about it and i don't even know if this was included in our miscellany or not but there's something to the effect of like four megs worth of like english translation dialogue for this game yeah four megabytes yeah, yeah which was like pretty huge at the time yeah and that was another thing that kind of stands out about it right is like just the the sheer amount of dialogue that you get in the game, like going back to NPCs that you had met previously, talking to them again after, you know, the story progresses or whatever. Now, of course, we're kind of accustomed to that. But the the level of differentiation in the dialogue options that you're presented with and what you see as the game progresses was something that I won't necessarily say is unprecedented, but pretty impressive. For the time, like having that much variation in NPC dialogue, particularly right. for a a lot of NPCs that you probably don't even ever actually have to talk to and b just like the sheer number of NPC characters that are just kind of wandering around most mm-hmm. of the towns in the game. Absolutely. What Corey was saying is like so much love and care was given to characters that most people don't even talk to. Yeah, I know when I play JRPGs, when I get into a town. Do I do I talk to every character? No, I'm just I'm going to where I need to go, especially if I played mm-hmm. the game before. Right. Uh, so they didn't have to put that much effort into it. And they did. And hats off to them. Yeah. I mean, like I think about how these days I very rarely like talk to everybody in a town. But I think that one of the reasons I went through a period of time where I talked to everybody in a town is because of Lunar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those games because I mean, you're, you talk to people more than once, they might say, they say something different and who knows? I don't know. Like, I think it's just, I just think it's really well done. I'm not going to get angry about the 
translation <laughs> at all. I mean, I, I love, love the translation. I do want to ask you a question because our, our friends at the Retrospectives podcast, I think it's Patrick in particular, hated Lunar. I think he played the Silver Star Story complete version. He has this big review on it on their site about why he hated it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things is the vile tribe in Silver Star Story and how it just it doesn't completely make sense in his opinion. I get where he's coming from. But one of the things I do like about Silver Star, the Silver Star, the Sega CD version is you only have Zenobia. Yeah. And it's like, she's just bad. And they don't really get into like this big vile tribe drama. Which one do you prefer in that aspect? Oh, I mean, I'm going to, I will take the Sega CD version all day long. And I've found that that is the, like the common sentiment that I've seen from people is like, whatever one you play first is the one you're going to like more than the other. So, I mean, I like, I will take the Sega CD one just because I think it's, when it's all said and done, it's like a 20, 21 hour RPG, like beginning to end. Yeah, like really, you know, even if you know what you're doing or if you don't know what you're doing, it's like you can get through like within 20 hours and like 20 hours, I feel is, is a pretty good sweet spot for RPG length, especially as I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, this yeah. is kind of nice. You know, a 20 hour game that is basically all killer, no filler. You know, I, I, I lump uh, like Chrono Trigger is a good example of mm-hmm. like all all killer, no filler. There's like great game and it's an, and you can do everything that there is to do in that game in like 23, 24 hours. But the vile tribe stuff, Zenobia, all she amounts to it really is just like an, a pre final boss fight. She doesn't really do anything. She shows up to screw around with whatever, but who, who was in the, uh, it was like Royce and I forgot the Facia. Facia. Yeah. Yeah. So those were the two characters that they added for complete, right? The right. two additional villains. Yeah. That they, I guess they probably just tried to make the Val tribe further to be more to them, but it doesn't really. Yeah, I didn't anything. need it. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be in the in the remake, but I agree. <laughs> I actually liked Luna staying behind more in the original than than coming with you. Yep. I think it's more impactful because you know Ramus leaves you, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like, oh, characters may come and go, and they may not be permanent, which is a little bit of a gripe when you get Tempest later, because I, I don't really understand that part. Yeah. Why that happens. Yeah. And I mean, Tempest wasn't even expanded on Tempest. And what was the other one? Tempest and uh, what's her name? She's so I, I can't remember her name uh, because Fresca. she's in there like for five Tempest seconds. Tempest and Fresca. Is that what it is? Yeah, something like that. And I mean, don't they both join you at different points or does Fresca not join? But either way, like only Tempest. And yeah, that, it seemed like that they wanted Tempest to be like a permanent character in the party and just didn't have the time to do it. But then it's he's not a, a permanent character in complete either. No. One of the things I like about RPGs from this time period is how characters come and go. That's one of my favorite things about uh, Final Fantasy IV is how yes. you'll get characters and then they'll leave. And then they, they might show up later on. You'll get them back. And you it like really gives a sense of progression for them. Like in Final Fantasy IV, when you like lose uh, Rydia, and then she comes back and she's like grown up and knows all this magic and summons and everything. That's It's a great moment. But, you know, I, I think the Tempest shows up way too late in the game for it to be meaningful at all. It's kind of like, well, why am I like saddled with this person now? <laughs> it feels like a throwaway dungeon too. Yeah. But in general, I don't think that the, uh, the Val tribe <laughs> doesn't really add anything to either version. No. Before we segue into the next part, I'll mm-hmm. just say, I like the plot. I think it sounds like mm-hmm. everyone really appreciated the plot. It's, it's a tad simple, but I like simple. Oh yeah. I mean, I that's, don't think there's, yeah, that's one of the greatest things about it is that 
you know, like from the, the time that Galleon kills Quark, it's like this race to save Luna and become a Dragon Master. He doesn't even know if he, they say like, oh, you have to become a Dragon Master, which it's expected, but it doesn't happen until like way, way late in the game. But it's just like, it's very single-minded, you know, like things will like get in their way, but it's, it's very simple and just straightforward, which is good. Yeah, no layers of political intrigue with Shakespearean text <laughs> to to make you wonder what the hell they're saying. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think it was like the same thing that we said about Dragon Quest, right? It's just that like it's it gets to the point. It's it's fairly straightforward, but that's okay. Like it doesn't always need to be some grandiose convoluted fantasy plot that you need to try to keep track of over the course of X number of hours. And I think, Chris, I think you made a good point, really, is that I don't necessarily think that the story itself is anything super groundbreaking. It's in how it's related to the player. I think that's what's key. And I think that's what really makes it stand out. As we said in the brief history, it's it's not so much that the game has a story, but how the story is told. Exactly. That they were going after. And for for 19 for 1992, when they released this in Japan, it was doing a much better job of that than many of his contemporaries in that department, hands down. Heck yeah. So let's move on to the gameplay here, which I will say probably today, if anyone goes back and, and plays it now, they won't understand why it was so groundbreaking. But this was a very groundbreaking battle system. It's one of the mm -hmm. things that really attracted me to this game is how it wasn't just a screen that you pressed attack and either didn't attack or didn't do attack so uh, as we mentioned in the brief history your characters are on a kind of a grid that you have a little bit of control over what to do uh where you put them at least you can put them in order in their specific positions and then when you select attack uh, if they don't like alex will have a melee weapon 99 percent of this game and he will actually move to the enemy he's going to attack and do an attack your mages will stay where they are, but the enemy will move to them if they want to attack them and attack them. So positioning is key depending on what kind of attack you're going to use. I don't think they do enemy zone attacks in this game quite a bit. It's either all enemy or one enemy, if right. I recall correctly, yeah. for, for spell attacks. Well, there's some spells that you can attack everybody, but yeah. Right. But there's no like, you know, one, like a zone on the map, like you said, on the ground. Right, right. But like for, for the most part, like positioning in this game is is important in terms of how to avoid damage how to deal damage which again was not something you were seeing in any real console rpg that i can think of outside of maybe sort of vermilion where you don't have i mean is that really an rpg but that's only one character that's yeah, only one character i mean that's 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 like an that's and that's also like all like the battles are action-based and then it goes like the right like the side side view for the boss battles for the record i haven't played sort of a million i've just seen it played so Thank you, Corey, because I have no idea. I've only played it once, <laughs> and that was, you know, when it came out. But it's, it's not, it's not, so, it's not great. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. <laughs> that's a good soundtrack, um, but that's about, that's about it. But in terms of like in 1992, again, when this came out, this was groundbreaking. Today, it's not so special because we've had our Grandias, mm -hmm. we've had our Skies of Arcadia, we've had our Tales of, we've had our Star Oceans. Mm -hmm. So this is like really an introduction to all of that. But this came before all of that. This was. It's kind of laying the, the ground layer of what would soon be to come. Shane, uh, me and Corey have gushed over this plot 
quite a bit so far. Mm. So what did you think of this gameplay coming to it after all these years, you know, with a fresh set of eyes? Yeah, that one was interesting because I was going into it just assuming that this was going to be a very traditional turn-based RPG experience where, you know, you just, like you said, you select your things, they do them, rinse, repeat. And to a certain extent, it still is that. But I was actually thrown way off by the sort of like positionality, if you will, of of the combat in that, like, I had no idea that that was a part of this at all. And for at least the first maybe, you know, a couple hours or something, I actually thought it was more of just a. A visual flair more than anything, because a lot of games do that, right, where like even if you're you know, in a traditional turn-based setup and you're lined up on one side, the enemies are lined up on the other, like your character will run forward and do their attack and then run back or whatever. And it means nothing really like from a mechanical perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I thought this was doing. It's like, Oh, they're just moving around on the battle screen. That's pretty neat. And then I realized at some point I would tell a character to do something and then they would move when it was their turn and they didn't have the range to perform the thing I wanted them to do. And so they just did nothing. And I was just like, wait a minute, something, <laughs> something is wrong here. And that's when I realized like, Oh, this actually matters, <laughs> which then introduced like a whole other, you know, level of complexity to the combat, which on some level I can appreciate. It's, it's odd though, because for me not having any context and not having any sort of like, preconceived notion of it or anything it fell into this like weird in-between spot for me where it was not just a straight up turn-based rpg which i'm familiar with i know how to work with i can buzz through a menu and hit attack and blah 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 and just let it do its thing and then on the other end of the spectrum something like let's say ff tactics right where it's mm -hmm. or tactics ogre or what have you where it's like a very much your position matters how you move matters and it's like this in between that i'm still not like 100 percent sure how much i like if i'm being like 100 percent <laughs> honest because i almost feel like i would prefer one or the other like i would mm -hmm. prefer either to just have the i know what i'm doing this is just a turn-based combat thing or like I have this overworld map and I have very clear grids and I understand where I'm moving and have that finer granularity of control over it. I guess I think mm -hmm. maybe that's my issue is that like, it seems like there's this weird, like sort of not necessarily randomness. Cause I don't, it, I don't think it's random, but obfuscation maybe of the mechanic where I'm just like, well, I'm pretty sure that this character is going to do the thing I want him to do, but mm -hmm. Maybe not. I don't know. It also depends on how the enemies move during their turn. So who knows what's going to happen, um, which for the record, I can see how you would be able to appreciate that because it does introduce some variability to it, which can be exciting. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I guess for me, like, I, I think I would have rather had a little bit more control over how they moved. And that's going to dovetail into something else I'm going to talk about a little bit later with the <laughs> gameplay as far as just like. Mm -hmm. obfuscation of information and mechanics because there are a uh, number yeah. of things where I, that I was just like yeah. what the fuck is a litany what what am i supposed <laughs> to do with this but anyway 
that that's my 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 ramble for the moment it's like the dm gives you an ability and doesn't tell you what it does yeah Yeah. well i bet that's a big problem with a lot of (laughs) rpgs at the time yeah oh yeah it's not lunar specific at all yeah it's just it, it suffers from that same issue and like i went and looked up uh, a pdf of like the original instruction manual because i usually like to try to do that to get better mm-hmm. you know context for a lot of things and even the original instruction manual does not give you all the information like it lists out a pretty good chunk of the different spells and like what they do but they, it's not exhaustive same thing with the items and you know equipment and then also who who was in charge of the map who was in charge of that map like that map that's map? included in the game. Oh, oh, the, yes. oh, the, oh. yeah, it's, yeah. it's, there's a lot of artistic license that went into that map. Okay. They were just like, <laughs> yeah. all right, here's Moribia and Berg and like one and other city. Nothing. Yeah. And then it's, I don't know, it's, it's mountains, man. It's fucking adventure. Figure it out. And I'm like, yeah. I need to know where things are. <laughs> the world map is a dungeon. Yeah, great. <laughs> I don't think there's a better way because it's like, you have to memorize where you're going. You have to memorize landmarks and be like, okay. I'm over here and then if I go here and then I can't go here because of this it's it's the world maps a dungeon I mean if you want to talk about that we could talk about the overworld where there's like a complete lack of landmarks <laughs> well the thing is is I think they know this and that's why they leave those health monuments around there recharge uh, your yeah. health and your magic it's, mm. it's like so that you don't get you know stranded someplace or get too far away without any way to heal right which is funny because when he first started playing this game, because I just got play- done playing Lunar 2, he was in Berg and he was like, how do I heal myself? I'm like, go to the Statue of Althena, dude. <laughs> it's like, in the, yeah, in the be- beginning of every town, right? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, where's the inn? He's like, There's, there is none. I'm like, what? What kind of JRPG is this? And there's no statues yet. <laughs> so not related to the battle system, but just in movement in general is at the time when I played this, I could not believe how fast the characters moved. And, mm, I, so fast, and yeah. I loved it. And you can just kind of, they'll like go along stuff that like go the right way. If you like run up against the wall, you just yes. don't want to just, you know, stop. It's very convenient and nice. It is. Yeah. That's actually one thing I pointed out to Chris too. When I started playing it, I was just like, I really love how you can just sort of run into a wall and they'll just kind of keep scooting along. That's just, <laughs> it's so efficient. Yeah. That's that and that became like a trademark of the series too, mm-hmm. because that goes that persists all the way up. I don't know if they do it in Silver Star Harmony. I know that they did it all the way up until Eternal Blue Complete, mm-hmm. where that was just something you could do. Movement is very fast, it's very speedy. Yeah. Uh in fact, I would I would say that's a that's some big praise I can give to the game is that it's it's very snappy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like everything moves very fast. Mm-hmm. Even the battles. Yeah, even the battles. You can it's like one of the first RPGs that I can think of, like outside of I think the first Breath of Fire that has like an AI option the i mean nowadays you can just like just hit ai all the time and like look up stuff on your phone while it's not even have to look at the screen <laughs> yeah that's true why play the game <laughs> exactly <laughs> i think it has a tactics because i just was playing on uh, right. silver star story so it has a tactics thing that if you just want to like say everyone attack you can just do that oh just like or is that or is that silver star story that's i think that's in silver star story you got to hit ai for each okay. each character in this okay yeah, because when you first start a battle, you have the op- option to attack, talk to Null, or run. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can't bring up that first menu again after you choose one of them. That's right. When I was playing it last couple of days, I was like, oh, it's, it's, I don't remember, you know, Null being able to like give you information on the 
enemies like only at the beginning of the fight. But then again, I almost never used them anyways. Now, one of the things that did make it snappy talking about Silver Star Story, mm-hmm. I know I'm talking a lot about Silver Star Story here. I'm sorry, everybody. That's all right. It's, it's fine. Silver Star Story came out in that era where animations, like how detailed your spell animations and how cool things could look was in vogue. Like it was, you got to make things look as cool as possible because that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it really harms the game and it makes the gameplay of the original Silver Star feel that much more fluid and that much more enjoyable. Yeah. Just thinking about like when you cast a spell, you're not going to get a giant spell animation. It's going to be like two seconds and then you're on with your life. And like the noticeable difference in how much faster those battles move. And you said like traversing the world map. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass, but you're not moving across the world map very slowly. Right. You're not moving across towns very slowly. True. Everything is just moving at a quick pace. And I think that goes back to a lot of just game arts experience with the type of games they're making Mm -hmm. before Lunar, which were a lot of, you know, shooting games like Thexter. Right. Like it's, that's not a game that's supposed to be played slowly. So they're probably going into it with that mentality. That's great. I mean, that's something that, so many RPGs from the era could really use, you know, oh, just definitely. being able to just crank through it. And, you know, I think that that's something to be said also about, you know, it's, it's, it's a 20 hour game and Silver Star Story Complete is, I don't remember how much longer it was, but it was like at least 10 hours longer. You know, when you're in the dungeons in that one, don't you, you walk a lot slower and you got to, you have like a run button or is that only in. No, there's no run button. You're, you're, you move pretty quick in Silver Star Story. Okay. So, but isn't it, is, maybe it's Lunar 2 complete. It has like a run button. Like it, you, just, you can only maybe. dash for like a specific amount of time uh, because there's, there's no enemies in the overworld of the complete games. Right. But it's just, it's just nice to be able to, you know, like they're not wasting your time. It's like, let's, you know, keep it moving. And, you know, you just have no time to really stop and think, why is this taking so long? And they didn't, they didn't feel like they needed to stretch out the experience. I mean, I think that that goes a long way for how memorable it is now. I do have some cons and maybe you can, either of you can, can counterpoint me on this. Okay. A couple of things. A difficulty curve in this game is all over the place. It starts off relatively balanced, mm-hmm. then gets like amazingly, almost mind numbingly easy, and then gets pretty balanced towards the end again, once you get to the grindery, like mm-hmm. right up to the final dungeons. So in, in that thing, I think like the difficulty, like there was times when I was like, I, I'm just Alex and Alex is just so OP mm-hmm. that all of the spells that you have for like Nash and Mia are almost irrelevant. Right. And it doesn't even really matter because all of your mages really don't have an MP pool that's even comparable to Alex's. Mm-hmm. So you're almost convinced to not even use your magic spells. Just like, why do I have this? Yeah, it's a pain. It's weird. You don't really need to. No, you don't. I mean, there's, I think there's a point where it becomes like very magic heavy. Like after you lose, when you get the Moribia and you lose Ramus, and then it's just, isn't it just yeah. like Alex and Nash? And it like kind of, then, you know, you have to go through the, the cave of trials and it's just, you know, Alex by himself. Well, I think in that one, you have to use magic, right? Like that's the whole yeah. deal. Yeah. 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 The trial cave. Yeah. And that's, that is maybe like one of the hardest parts of the game is yes. beating that boss. But it's funny because I think about this game and like pretty like pretty much like every RPG that I played up to that point, I never like did any grinding or whatever, like beyond when I what I needed to do. And I would like run from a lot of battles. And this was the game that taught me like, you know, if you fight every single battle that you run into, then you're going to never have a problem. And ever since I played this, I will basically never run from battles, RPGs at least. 
that's a good point. If if you encounter all the battles, you will get enough experience mm-hmm. that it, you can you can get through it pretty easily. Yeah, that's it's in stark contrast, I think, to the uh, to complete because I'm pretty sure in complete the enemies level up with you. They might. I, I know I got to the the dragon boss mm-hmm. like in Moribia and complete that thing. That thing sucked. Like that, yeah. that game that, that doesn't it doesn't feel fair in that game all the time. <laughs> Whereas the original, it feels fair. Mm-hmm. It feels balanced and too easy at times. But yeah, no, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that is the case. Yeah. Like the enemies or at least the bosses level up with you. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. I mean, I hate that. I think that the Final Fantasy eight did that, I think also. Yeah, it did. But you, you could break that by using the junction system, but you can't do that in Silver Star Story. Right. So <laughs> that was not the case in. Lunar 2 Complete. No, they learned their lesson. But I mean, Lunar 2 Complete and the Sega CD has its own set of problems. <laughs> if we could talk about some other time. <laughs> oh, I'd love to, but... Yeah, I mean, I think overall, I think you're right. You know, it's it's not necessarily like a purely consistent experience over the course of the 20-some-odd hours as far as difficulty goes, but uh, from my perspective, I didn't think it was that big of an issue, really. Okay. And this is just me. I, I'm the kind of person where I usually we'll just play a game on whatever the easy mode is because i'm here to experience the story i'm not necessarily here to try to have like a, a big dick moment or anything with like <laughs> oh man i beat this on nightmare mode or whatever like i don't care dark souls fan um, well that's different <laughs> <laughs> but uh if i'm given the option how do we put it that way if i'm giving the option to choose a difficulty then i will generally pick an easier difficulty just so i can experience it so with that sort of mindset, this didn't really bother me. Actually, I thought it was pretty fair throughout mm-hmm. most of the experience. Um, as far as the grinding thing goes, you, I don't think you have to necessarily, although I will say that I did, um, but it wasn't for experience. It was actually more for money just right. because I wanted to make sure that like I cleared out the shop before I moved on to the next place um, as far as like gear and stuff is concerned, which I don't think is necessarily like a hard requirement like i think you no. can still kind of get by without doing that but the kind of person that i am i'm just like oh you have all iron armor yeah i'm not <laughs> leaving this town until i buy all of it so yeah especially if you find the jewels and the diamond rings yeah you're, you're fine yeah yeah and they're not hard to find <laughs> oh real quick the inventory management it looks daunting but it's not nearly as bad as you would think it would be yeah you have plenty of item slots which I was actually surprised by. And it, yeah, and that was something I think that was a hard hard thing for me to grasp at the time is that if you want a character to be able to use items in battle, you can't just pull from that that pool of items. They have to be equipped with it. Yeah. Yeah, but once you kind of get that, though, it's actually pretty intuitive. Yeah, exactly. Like, and having sort of Null kind of be the the pack mule for the, the team is, I guess, pretty, pretty useful. There is one thing that I do want to ask, though, now that I just thought about it before we go on to the next section, because I'm curious because I haven't had any experience with it. So I don't know if this changed or not, but kind of briefly going back to what I was talking about with sort of the obfuscation of certain things are any or or do any of the re-releases of this game add any additional like in-game context for things like items? Like, do they explain? Yes. What they are? Okay. Because, like, the original Sega CD version, like, the Silver Star does not do that. Right. Like, at all. And so, and that's obviously the version that I played. And so, I struggled with that a little bit, just trying to, A, understand what things were and whether or not they were useful. And then, B, just, like, remembering all those things. Because, Mm -hmm. like, 
I'll give them all the creative license in the world for their spell names and whatever. But like, if you're not just calling the damn thing heal, I don't know what it is. Right. Right. So like trying to keep track of that was one thing. And then having, you know, things like equipment upgrades or things mm-hmm. like that, like not having any idea. I'm like, I don't know if this is better for my character or not. Yeah. Like at the very least they had, you know, the, the party picture with the sprites at the top where it would like they'd turn forward or face backward depending on whether or not you they could use the item so that's nice but it was kind of like a trial and error thing of like well i'm gonna buy this scimitar and then i'm pretty sure (laughs) i might be better for alex i'll i guess i'll check his attack power after i buy it yeah but it's nice to know that i guess they included that yeah if it costs more it's better (laughs) exactly exactly that's that's the old the older rule right well sure it's a new place that you haven't been to before and it costs more and it's, it's gotta be better or it gets complicated. Our, our Nash and me as canes. That's where it gets complicated. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because like the recovery cane is, is like essential mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can just use, uh, you can use that as an item. Yeah. Just, you have it equipped. Uh, yeah. You have to have it equipped of course, but <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to the, how this game looks. Uh, I'll start out with you, Corey. What do you think of the, the visual presentation? Of lunar uh i mean it's it's not really anything special i mean even in back in the day i never thought it was anything special you know like the super deformed characters on the map you know i like their little portraits and like, of course like the cutscenes. but the cutscenes, there's very few cutscenes that have anything beyond a moving mouth mm-hmm. the visuals in this game are not what i would point out is like a selling point no it's just like that it's probably the like the worst thing about it honestly is just it's you know, it's it's kind of drab in a lot of ways. You know, just like it, it uses a lot of earthy tones, I guess. It's the Gears of War problem. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> can call it the lunar problem now. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to go a bit further in the negative, and I'm <laughs> sorry, but it looks like a, a pre-Sonic Genesis game mm-hmm. in terms of how it has a limited color palette in my opinion, like it looks like it's not really taking advantage of anything the Sega CD does outside of like the early parts where it like zooms in on Berg with that scaling. Yeah. Like, oh, we figured out scaling. Good job, guys. We're going to use it exactly once in this game. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly once. <laughs> like it, it looks like when you're comparing a general Genesis game to a general Super Nintendo game, like this is a game you would use as an excuse against the Genesis. Yeah. In terms of just a surface way, it looks it doesn't look good, especially when you can ter- compare it to uh, Eternal Blue. Yes. And how well that game used color oh. and how that game just pops. Right. Well, I mean, it's just like experience, right? They probably. Oh, absolutely. They had a hard time figuring out, like, how do we make this look interesting? And they, they figured it out by the second one. Oh, by far, especially with the animation. Mm-hmm. Now, as you said, and much with me. That opening animation sequence, when I first saw it, when I first, like, from the Sega CD, mm-hmm. uh, I, me too, I was like, wow, like, this is what a CD can do. Yes. Look at the way, like, this, these, these are, like, real cartoons, and I'm <laughs> amazed. And what you said after that was also important, because you're like, I didn't have a TurboGrafx CD, and I, I understand why you said that, because the introduction to East, which was, like, two years before this, just blows this out of the water. Yes. Or Cosmic Fantasy, mm-hmm. which was another working designs game, has so much better animation on what you consider to be what you could consider to be an inferior console. Right. I don't know if it was a problem at the Sega CD, because I noticed that's with a lot of like Vi is the same way. It has very limited animation. So I just don't know if just 
like Game Arts just had a lower budget than Falcom, which is possible for that time. Or they were just lower, like Vi and Lunar were lower budget games. I'm not sure, because again, Eternal Blue shows the Sega CD definitely can do it and a lot of mm-hmm. it and very well. But at, even at this point, the animation is that we didn't know at that time, because like you said, we didn't have TurboGrafx CDs or or East, I imagine, at that time. But it, it was it was dated at that moment. Right. And we know that the game arts is capable of doing this because this like only came out shortly after Sylphid, which is a great looking game for the time. Sylphid came out a year after uh, Lunar. Oh, wow. OK. OK. So maybe that is maybe they were dumping money into that and they gave them less money to do it. It's possible because, I mean, Sylphid is a great looking game for its time. Very good. Oh, they also didn't really have to make the game because I think they had a version of Sylphid on like the PC 88 or 98 or something like that. Oh, I don't know if it's yeah. the same game, though. Yeah, I'm not sure if it is either. I've never never seen it in the in action. But yeah, it was capable. But mm-hmm. again, I thought it was great in 95. There is that. Yeah. It's not a great looking game. I mean, don't play it for its graphics. Shane, what's your input on this? Uh, Yeah, I'm probably just going to echo a lot of the same sentiments. I mean, even as someone coming in without any knowledge of this beforehand, I think that was probably one of the first things I thought about. Like once I got past the the intro cinematics and and the voice work and stuff seeing the actual gameplay. I was just like, so why is this on a CD? Like what, (laughs) what, what are we doing here? Like, I'm pretty sure you could have fit this on a cartridge. So what gives graphically until you hear it, but we'll, right. And that's the thing, right. Is like, that's where all of that went. It was just Mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah, we've got all this voice acting and the, you know, the CD quality music and all that stuff. But the, the visual presentation I don't I'm, listen. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's like bad. It's fine. Right. You know, exactly. it's, it's serviceable. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah, I do kind of wish that they had been a little bit more creative with their color palette choices, mm-hmm. but overall it's fine. Honestly, for me, I kind of wish that there was some sort of middle ground and maybe somebody's done this. There's got to be some very dedicated fan out there or something I'm not aware of. But if I could take like the graphical upgrades of like complete or like one of the later remakes and just like slap that on silver star as far as like the mechanics and everything from the original go that would be like the perfect version of this game (laughs) (laughs) that'd be pretty cool i i would play that yeah i wonder how tough that would be to do probably really tough yeah, I have no idea. I don't I'm not doing it. But uh but yeah, no, overall, like <laughs> I yeah, I think it was it was fine. I mean, I know comparatively, like you said, Chris, that even at the time there were better, you know, cinematic offerings even out there as far as games are concerned. But I was actually still even even today in 2022, I was actually still like unironically kind of impressed with the cutscenes and stuff in this game. Mm-hmm. Like I think it does add a lot to the experience. I will say it looks better than Fantasy Star 2 and 3. Yeah, well, yeah. we don't talk about that. So Why not? <laughs> Fantasy Star is a fucking fantastic game, and I don't want to talk yeah. about the second one. So <laughs> Neither Have do I. Have you guys done an episode on Fantasy Star, like any of the other Fantasy Star games outside of the first one? Fantasy Star 1. Just the first okay. one. Yeah. I, I think I've put on this podcast that Fantasy Star 2 is my one of my most hated games. I do oh, believe okay. you have mentioned that, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. But, you know, it's it's my least favorite of the series. I can definitely see why I, mean, I even like three. I like I like three more. But, uh, that's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's just it's a fine looking game. It, it doesn't it doesn't look it doesn't look good or it doesn't look bad. It's just kind of it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> what is better than fine? 
is this game's audio presentation. Oh, man, I, you're telling me. <laughs> I like butt rock. Yes, you do. <laughs> I do like my butt rock. I feel like that's like at least 50% of the reason you like Sonic so much. <laughs> no, but it is a big reason I got into Lunar so much. Oh, okay. Because this game opens up with a phenomenal butt rock song. Mm-hmm. Which makes no sense. Nope. And as utterly ridiculous lyrics, but I love it. And it's one of my favorite intros of all time. And it is so cool. I really hope Ashton inserts that song in the background yeah. just I mean, for some point so you all can hear it. Uh, because I love that song. We'll go to you in terms of the overall audio <laughs> presentation in terms of the music, because I have more to say about actual audio, mm-hmm. but let's just stick to the music because I'm in a good mood and <laughs> let's keep everyone in a good mood. <laughs> so, Corey, what, what did you think of the what did you think of the music? I, I think I have a good idea. Oh, this this is definitely one of my one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. I used to just put the CD in a CD player and listen to it or just like play it through the interface and like listen to it while I would study for a biology test or something like that. Mm. So the big thing is, is that the soundtrack is so good in this. And then they like got rid of all of it for the remake. Yeah. Which is hugely, hugely disappointing. And I think that that immediately put the the remake on my shit list. As soon as I found out that they did that, I, I could not believe it. And it's the same composer as uh, Noriyuki Ibudari. He also did like mm-hmm. music for Grandia and, He's done something fairly recently, but I... Ace Attorney. Okay, there you go. And it's just, it's so good. I just can't believe they got rid of it. That he got rid of it and decided to... I I mean, to be fair, the remake has more of a central theme to it, to the music. You know, there's like more like callbacks to like different like melodies and stuff throughout. But I just think that it's Sega CD game. It's like the music is, is, it's a masterpiece. Getting rid of that soundtrack will be one of the things that I feel is one of the biggest mistakes made in gaming. <laughs> it, I mean, it sounds like pretty over the top, but it was it was crushing to me when I found out they that they removed it. Oof. Well, I think that was similar to uh, what what was the discussion we had, Chris? Was it Crystallis? I think that was when we were talking with Ashton about with. Yeah. yeah, when they changed up the soundtrack for that, too. And it was just a pile of hot garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I don't I don't think that the, the remake was hot garbage. I, I do understand where Corey is coming from because it had its own identity. It had its own flavor. And, and they did some callbacks in the remake, but but not a lot of it. it you could tell that in the remake, Iridare was much prouder of his work in Eternal Blue. Mm hmm. And they they tried to stick with those themes. It seemed yes. that Game Arts was like Eternal Blue is the game that we're going to establish all of our lore around, which is ironic because they just continued to remake Silver Star over and over and again. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of tracks that like when you open up the game, it's completely different. It's more subdued than it is in, in Silver Star Story. And I, I think I kind of like that more subduedness 
amongst the soundtrack. I also love how clear, crystal clear this audio quality is, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you do listen to some more compressed tracks. Uh, and that is a big credit to the Red Book audio. And this is just it's kind of like what you get from a lot of those early CD games yes. that you get on the TurboGrafx CD and Sega CD games that were Red Book audio. These are standalone pieces that don't necessarily need to be attached to the game. Now, when they are, they're better. Mm -hmm. And there are some that probably don't sound too great outside of the game itself, like the dungeon theme, which kind of gets a little repetitive. Mm -hmm. But other than that, the normal battle theme, I think, is far superior in the Sega CD version than it is in its remake. And it goes on for so long, too. It's like a long track. Yeah, it does. And it gets better. Very epic. Yeah, as it builds up. So good. And I, I remember firing up silver star story and i was just like i don't like this battle theme <laughs> the regular one i just i just don't like it but i don't i don't hate silver star stories soundtrack uh, I, I would say i'm hard pressed uh, to say which one i like between the both of them but no i could completely understand if this was your jam if this was something you really really loved mm-hmm. when you listened to it and then going to the, the remake and they just were like no we're getting rid of all of it yeah I, i'd be i'd be furious too <laughs> because it's still it's, it's a great soundtrack and how could you get rid of that intro? I know. Like <laughs> they have this like big lovey dovey intro yeah. in the beginning. They made it more of a love story and Silver Star story. And it's just like it, 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 it's some of that's there. Yeah. But like I I love the action. It's like that's part of it too. <laughs> ah. When I when I got the Sega CD version, I whenever I'd have like any friends over, like right away I'd be like, you gotta see this. And I would like play them that intro. And I don't think that anybody was ever disappointed. No. Like you built this up so much and it, it delivered. So good. Yeah. Shane, you have any additional input on this soundtrack? Honestly, not really. It's one of those ones that I just don't feel like I have a whole lot to say. It's just kind of, it's good from front to back. Like I, I enjoyed everything. Like I, I would agree that I think the dungeon track does get a little repetitive, but like even comparatively to other games that we've talked about, it's better than, than most of them. And the fact that we don't have like an aggressively short loop on a lot of those mm-hmm. is a very nice touch mm-hmm. because some of those get super grating very quickly. But yeah, not much more to add than that. It was, it was a pleasure to listen the, to for these, like, you know, the dungeon theme that has a big buildup. What's actually kind of funny is that the, I mean, going back to the gameplay, I guess is like the Sega CD game, like the encounter rate is like kind of out of control where you will sometimes like yes. take one step in between battles and you know, it, like the size, Song doesn't even have time to start playing, and, it's, and it starts and it starts over every time because of the because of the nature of the Red Book audio. True, I love hearing the I love hearing this the the CD spin back up again <laughs> at the end of the track. <laughs> it's like, oh, are you kidding me again? Is, is this what we're doing today? I'm going to throw a little bit of a sandwich in here. I'm going to talk about the sound effects because I have another good thing to say. Okay, the sound effects I thought were terrible. Yeah, like when you kill an enemy and it yeah. makes that Sega farting sound. <laughs> It's it's very loud. It's a big fart. It sounds like a wet fart. And it, I can tell it's a glitch. It's completely not intentional because it's all about like has something to do with like a following action of another player, depending on what they do. That's that something determines that. Mm-hmm. But it sounds horrible. Well, I like it when you kill a bunch of enemies at one time with like a magic spell. It's like, wow. Yeah, those are all of them. It's, it's great. <laughs> but I, I, I agree, especially when you get hit in battle. It's just like it's. You know, it's it's shrill sounding. It doesn't sound good. Yeah. I know you noticed that, too, when we were emulating it. And I hadn't played it in so long, Shane, and you're playing it. It's like, that's just an emulator thing. And you're like, why is this so terrible? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
is it wrong for me to say that I actually kind of unironically like the the enemy death sound? Like I actually like the little wall sound. I, I mean, know. I will I will take that enemy sound over the uh, Fantasy Star Two enemy dying sound. Hmm. Okay. Which is like that. It's like a. It sounds like an insect. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of fits with Fantasy Star Two because it's all like digital. Yeah. Weird with that grid background, <laughs> which is also weird. But I mean, the, the sound effects themselves, I think, are pretty bad. Now, I won't start this one off because I've started out the other two. I'll start this one out with Shane because I keep going to him last on this sound. What did you think of the voice acting? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, let's see. How do, I, how do I put this? So I found out that evidently for the the English version of this game, a lot of the voice acting was done by employees of working designs. And not voice actors. Mm-hmm. you can tell they're they're not terrible i will say that they're not awful we've heard some awful ones they're not awful i certainly have but you can also tell that they are not not great um galleon is like a saturday morning cartoon villain in, in the vocal delivery which depending on what your take on that is you could either really love that or really hate it um i thought it was pretty endearing he's got a pretty good like over-the-top villain laugh going on for him so that's nice but comparatively if you if you look into like the original japanese version they actually had legit professional voice actors that have worked in anime and things like that do the voices for the game and there's a pretty pretty stark difference i think in like the quality of the delivery of a lot Mm. of the lines but having said all that it's it's not it's not terrible like it's not laughably bad like some of the other ones that we've had. Um, I think it's it's competent enough, but you can tell that you know they they didn't bring in professionals to do the job. Mm-hmm. At least not for us English speaking folks. <laughs> Corey, yeah, I mean, I I like the voice acting, but it it is true. I I think like some of them are not good, but I I will say that John Truett as Galleon is, you know, one of the uh, is one of the best parts. And plus, he was he made an appearance in so many different working designs games like so working designs before like when they were first starting out they did the uh, local localization for dungeon explorer 2 on the turbo graphics cd mm-hmm. and uh, they're uncredited on that they don't have the box right. art on it I but think. Yeah. the voice of galleon like is does like is the int- is the voice of the intro which is kind of cool oh i wrote about this in our notes and i mean i'm not sure if if you guys saw this or not but the uh the voice did, the, <laughs> the voice of alex uh who in Silver Star has like two or three lines and they're like four or five words. Galleon, no! Luna! What are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. And and he also came back for Silver Star Story Mm -hmm. and has a lot more lines, but it was, uh, he was played by Ashley Angel. This guy who would go on to be like one of the members of this band from called, uh, this boy band called O-Town. And they were on, uh, I don't know if at, at the time if he was P. Diddy or if he was Puff Daddy still. One of them. And uh, making the band. As I believe he was still Puff Daddy at the time, if I recall correctly. <laughs> but I wonder if he ever mentioned, like, working on these games, like, anywhere on that show, or if he's, like, ever, like, talked about it anywhere. You know, just because I think that, I mean, I'm sure that he still does music in some capacity. Like, I wonder if you could ask him about it, if he would ever, would ever talk about it. You know, I just think it's kind of interesting. And if you, if you look at the making of disc that came with uh, complete like he's interviewed on that and everything and this is like pre-o-town 
And in fact, I like one of the things I wanted to do, I hope to do someday is like a, is a documentary on working designs. And when I was at Goodwill, I bought an O-Town CD just in case I needed it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that is a wild connection though, because I, uh, uh, oddly enough, I'm familiar with O-Town because my, uh, <laughs> my, my high school girlfriend turned eventual ex-wife <laughs> was into O-Town. And so I was, I was fairly familiar, but that is a weird connection. <laughs> right. It's, it's, you would never expect that. It's like, oh, you know, he is in this, you know, relatively obscure RPG as like the voice of the main character. Like, I, I wonder if he was just friend. I mean, he must've been just friends with Victor Ireland, I guess. Or maybe he did some like work for them, you know? How old was he in 92, 93? I don't know. We'd have to, we'd have to look him up here. Yeah. Couldn't mm. have been that old. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and he's now known as a, uh, uh, Ashley Parker Angel. You can you can find him on Instagram. Oh, okay. T- tag him in some lo- lunar photos. <laughs> but uh, maybe that would explain why he has like so few lines in it. Also, because you know when when they did complete, like they aged up all the characters a little bit too. Yeah, that's that's one thing I do want to talk about. The story is like that you kind of have a fifteen year old in like really skimpy outfits. <laughs> with, with luna as as you know the the dark althena it's like oh okay oh, are you talking about the, the the bromides is that what they were called the bromide like images like the oh <laughs> well yeah there, there's there's that was silver star story yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah 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 what i'm talking about is just like luna herself is like 14 15 years old mm-hmm. and the way they depict her at the end of the game oh <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. But, but, but i mean you can be like oh she's you know an ageless goddess at that point yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's She's a thousand, thousand, years thousand year old Molly argument, Chris. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. Exactly. Exactly. I'm actually you know? a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they get away with it. Well, it's funny though because like one of the things that they pointed out was the fact that part of the reason that they went with the sort of cultural aesthetic that they that you mentioned earlier, Chris, about like the the Russian like Northern sort of thing was so that the characters could have more clothes on. (laughs) Makes sense. I do want to say looking at his uh, history, it looks like he must've been friends with, with them because not only is he in in Lunar Silver Star, he's also in in Vey, Powerful Mail, Magic Knight, Rare Earth, Silver Star Story. Oh, wow. Huh. Wow. So what I'm hearing is that we we, we do need to tag him on Instagram and all of our posts for this. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we should. He's born. He's born in eighty one. So he's he's only three years younger than me. So he's. Well, he was a uh, he was twelve. Yeah. So that would make sense. And then I guess if Lunar if Complete came out in ninety ninety nine ninety nine. Yeah. So I mean, it would make sense. That works out. Yeah, it's about nineteen then. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it does make sense. But before we move on, I, I'm going to square my attention firmly on Shane here and give him a dirty glare. Uh-oh. Corey, you're cool uh, because. John Truitt kills it as Galleon. What's wrong with you? Oh my God. That is an all-time classic voice. <laughs> he is perfect. You are wrong, sir. And you know what? Because you want to say you're not very, you could tell it was done by the staff. One of these days, we're going to have to play East 3. And then, <laughs> then you can talk to me about what you think about the voice acting in this game. Yeah. Sir. I mean, I know a lot of you listening to this probably have not heard the voice acting from East 3, and you should. Oh, you should. Okay. Did did I not say that it was not bad? I just said that comparatively, you can tell. You went after Galleon. 
they made a punching puppet after him. <laughs> but you don't get to insult you don't get to insult my boy John Truitt like that. Okay. He's not really my boy. He has no idea who I am. Okay. But- well, you know what? That's that's fine. <laughs> I didn't realize that there were going to be personal feelings being hurt about the voice acting delivery, but Perfect. Yeah, that's yes. That's going kind of far. He's chewing the ce- the scenery. He, he I guess is. You could say. <sighs> so delightful. He's it's a dripping with with excitement to like do this. He's just like having a good time with uh with the character. It's just the way that he like stretches out everything, I guess. Ah, I love it. You know what? I'll I'll you know love what? It. I'll give it to you there. He's he's like it, it's like a Nicolas Cage delivery. How about that? You 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 can take that. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I could deal with that. There. So is John Truett is the Nicolas Cage of voice actors. <laughs> there you go. Video game voice actors. <laughs> sure. so you got to bring him back. Put him in movie fighting FNAF. Galleon versus the FNAF bears. God. <laughs> My dear Quark. <laughs> a lot of the other voices are masked by effects, too. Like Quark, you know, can you guys answer this question for me? Mm. When you first talk to Quark, he says, My friends, I am Quark, Drotra of the Dragon Tribe. I've no I, I've never known what he says. He says Drotra of the Dragon Tribe. <laughs> I have no idea. Even now. 29 years later, I still don't know what he actually says. I actually, that's, I, yeah, I now that either. you said that, I don't, I don't know. I've never even thought about it. It honestly gets worse after he gets injured too, because then, like I said, he's like <laughs> coughing and talking with a mouthful of blood. And like, I think I caught half of what he said. I was just like something, something dragon master. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Okay, he might not be as perfect as Scallion. I'll give him that. <laughs> well, apparently nobody <laughs> is, on that so... <laughs> no, nobody. Nobody. Uh, speaking of imperfect, we're going to move to Miscellanea and uh, talk about some things we found. Of course, there's probably much more than what we're about to talk about, but uh, here's some interesting fun facts. Now, I'll start out with this, and when they're in development, apparently a third of the game was cut from Lunar Silver Star. So maybe that explains why Silver Star Story and Silver Star Story Complete, maybe mm-hmm. that's why it has it, uh, have so much more additional content, extra characters. Maybe that's why Luna didn't go with you in the original. Who knows? But uh, a third of the original content is projected to go out. And as Corey said earlier, Silver Star Story Complete is about 10 extra hours. Mm-hmm. And so there's all sorts of stuff that you can theorize on what would have been and what would not have been included. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's anything missing. It doesn't. I, that's why I think the Tempest thing is a little off. I will say that mm. like just because it's such a short, short section for two characters. They seem to want to give some prominence to and they there just wasn't a lot there. So it makes me wonder if there's quite a bit in that area, but we'll never know. That's true. The game includes 15 minutes of spoken audio. And as we already said, the entire OST is Redbook audio. You can listen to it on your CD player. 15 minutes is a lot for uh, 1993, uh, especially Redbook audio. They they really crammed that CD. F- full of that space for that purpose i would assume i think the 15 minutes sounds high it does sound high that's what i was thinking too it sounds like a bit yeah but there are 52 tracks on the album yes and that also includes the the spoken audio yeah that's that's quite a bit when you consider like what was it when final fantasy 7 came out it was like something like 30 or 45 minutes of cinematics and that was like a huge 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 deal yeah something so like yeah 15 minutes is a lot of spoken audio for that time definitely yeah i i would be curious to see if like it's actually is 15 minutes i feel like it's less it does feel that way i mean maybe there's 
I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems that seems like a lot for what there is, because I can only think of a few bits of spoken dialogue. It's mostly Quirk and Galleon and Null. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I mean, we have like the intro and stuff. Yeah. Then the, the singing can count. Oh, that's, that's true. Two, yeah. Do three minutes. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I, this game had a reprint that had the foil stamping. It was the first foil stamping that uh, that Working Designs did, you know, that they would become known for doing that. The Ultra Series. Yeah. But the first print run of this does not. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons I feel like I need to get. I, I have the original one, the non-foil st- stamped version. And I feel as though I, I so I have at least one copy of every single one of Working Designs games. But I feel as though I need to get a, a foil stamped Lunar just because I'm like missing. Like that's, that feels like something that's missing <laughs> for my, my Working Designs collection. I think you can get away with that. Even though it's become like a $200 game now. Yeah, but I mean, if I'm just going to do it, I mean, yeah, exactly. And I, I think I asked, I asked Victor Ireland about uh, this on Twitter like years ago, uh, whether or not, you know, because I assumed that the non-foil stamp version would be more rare, but it's actually the opposite. The foil stamp yep. version, they just, you know, it was a second print and they just made less of them. And then there's rarities within rarities with all of the disc prints that have different images on them. And yep. <laughs> yep. They they knew what they were doing. I mean, there's people out there that have they have uh, you know complete collections of like every single variant. You know stuff like Magic Knight Ray Earth. Imagine if you said, "Oh, I'm going to have a complete working designs collection with every single discard." And there's like, well, I think Ray Earth had four or three or four, but it may have been as high as seven. I think was, I'm I'm not sure. I think it was three for one of the each main characters. I might be wrong. Yeah. I know that they did something. They had like seven variants. Of course they did, because of course, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because in a lot of ways, working designs was, it was ahead of the head of the curve and the way that the industry would go with these, like, you know, when you look at the, you know, I think we should talk for a second, just about silver star story completes box that it, and all that stuff that it came with. Yeah. What I like about that. And I, cause I don't really like giant, limited editions but i love that this came with a whole bunch of stuff and it's like you know it's not that much bigger it's not it's not annoyingly big you can just put it with the other games it's only is the same height as the jewel case or maybe a little bit higher because of the cardboard Hmm. feel obnoxious oh you're talking silver star story complete yeah yeah i'm just talking Uh, just like in general like you know the, the stuff that working designs did with the like with limited editions yeah, they weren't they weren't grossly like large. They 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 weren't too out of place in a normal collection. You could put right. them with the rest of your stuff. Yeah. And even with the Sega CD stuff, if we're sticking on this packaging, mm-hmm. the, like it was nice to see. I, I I can't recall if it was the first game they did. I think it was the first game they did this where they put translation oh. notes in the back mm-hmm. of the manual that yes. told you all the things they changed, which was not something anyone else was doing. Yeah, exactly. In the industry at that time. Yeah, I think they may have started it with some of their Turbo Graphics CD games. I'd have to look into it though. Yeah, but yeah, I remember seeing that because that was one of the earliest times I can think of where the developer was like talking to, like giving some behind the scenes details directly to the player. Because it was this big secret that games came from Japan. Like we all knew right. they came from Japan, but you you were supposed to think that the games you were getting were the exact same way that the games were in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like no question and. And, you know, um, what is it? Uh, uh, what's it called? And uh, the first, like 
working designs was opening the forbidden door. Yes. And they were saying, here's like, this is reality. This is the things that these games go through when they come over to the States. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was huge for me as a kid looking the back of this manual and be like, oh, wow, they, they, they fixed it and they made it faster and they added additional (laughs) audio and, oh, wow, that's crazy. That's awesome. You weren't, you normally were not supposed to know those things. And that was something that Lunar did do for a lot of uh, RPG fans, especially because those are the people that were buying working designs games. Yeah. So I guess this, this brings us <laughs> to the very end of our episode. And when we're, and we're going to talk about whether or not we think this game holds up today as is tradition. Again, our guest will have the final word on whether or not they think this game holds up. So we will start with Shane. Shane, do you think this game holds up in 2023? Oh, God, that's right. I'm still saying 2022. Yeah, I should. Yeah. Well, as of the time of recording, it's still 2022. So I'm technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. Yes. Do I think this game still holds up? Well, being somebody that played it for the very first time within the past few weeks slash months. um, Yes. Yes, it does. It's still a, a very enjoyable experience. It's it's a great little JRPG um, I think as we've kind of gone on at length here, there's a lot to enjoy. Um, it is a, in, at least in terms of role-playing games, it is a relatively succinct experience. It's a nice, fairly compact package at that roughly, you know, 15 to 20 hour mark. And honestly, the only major gripes that I would have about it are just the things that are are not exclusive to this game. It's it's something that's more, you know, just endemic amongst games slash RPGs in particular of this era, which is just that lack of information in game, the lack of context for certain things. I think if that was included, which as we kind of discussed was something that came along in the in the later versions, mm-hmm. if that was there I don't think I'd have really too much to complain about at all other than maybe an overworld map would have been nice. But, uh, <laughs> but, but other than that, those are, those are some nice to haves, but as far as the overall experience, yeah, it's a great little package. Like you said, the story's not gonna, you know, it's not groundbreaking. It's not necessarily going to wow you with anything super unique or new, but it's related in such, uh, such a, a competent way that like it really does pull you in and you know those some of those twists that come along with it are genuinely unexpected and genuinely entertaining and i think some of the the small twists that they have on you know the the usual formula for you know combat mechanics and things like that i think do give it sort of a fresh kind of fresh take on the genre especially at the time so yeah, I think this is a thoroughly enjoyable experience. And honestly, mm-hmm. from all of the versions, just on what I know from looking into it, um, obviously not having my own personal experience with each of the re-releases or anything, but from what I've gathered, honestly, I would recommend the original over something like the PlayStation re-release mm. specifically for the brevity, if for nothing mm-hmm. else. I think, you know, what Corey mentioned earlier is that you don't feel like there's anything really missing. I think it's, it's a whole package and the extra content to me kind of just adds bloat. That's maybe not necessarily required to, to experience this game's story. 
uh, yeah, I would actually recommend going back to the original, even if you're going to miss out on some of those, you know, quality of life features and, and maybe the fresh coat of paint. I think the, mm-hmm. the actual core experience, I think, is better. Well said. Okay. I think I would echo a lot of the things you, you said there, Shane, because, yes, I do think this game holds up. I actually would recommend if if you've never played a Lunar game before and you're, you're into more of the 32-bit RPGs, obviously, or, the, or maybe the more higher, quote, higher-end RPGs on the Super Nintendo, you'd probably be more interested in playing the uh, PlayStation 1 remake. Mm-hmm. And that's just I, I will even say this. I prefer the Sega CD version because I am more of the pure old school RPG mm-hmm. fan. That's just who I am. I, I can go through Dragon Quest, the original Dragon Quest, and had a good time. We had a good time with it. So like this game is kind of my jam. I also don't mind spells that that hide everything from me because I like Shimigami Tensei where your ice spell is Bufu and your heal spell is Dia. <laughs> so I, I can live with trying to figure out what spells do to a point. We have the Internet and guides nowadays, so it's not like it's it's too cumbersome. I can understand if you're trying to not use a guide, but if you are, you, you don't need to. For the most part, you can just just look up what the spells do because you will need to know that. And once you learn what you do, it pushes all those spells you don't use anymore to the back. Uh, the story is endearing. It's charming. It's simple. It, it, if you stay with it, like it, it gives you enough reason to to stick with the plot because just the environment and all the NPCs you talk to and the characters are are really endearing. I won't say the character development is the best, but that's only if you don't talk to any NPCs, which you can tell a lot of love and care was put into because that's where the character development is, is how the NPCs react, how, how your party members react to the NPCs. And that's right. That's always a joy. When you see Kyle just be a chauvinistic pig all the time or Nash be an asshole or Jessica chiding Kyle or, or Mia just being a shy individual. You don't really get that in the main plot. You get that by talking to the NPCs. But that's what makes this game special. It is an old school RPG through and through 100 percent. And if you like retro games and you like RPGs and if you're listening to this show, I think you do. You'll, you will like Lunar the Silver Star, whether it be a remake or the original. Once again, I prefer the original. But depending on the flavor of RPG and the generation of RPG you like, it might be better for you to try the remake first. Yeah. Corey, you have the final word. I mean, I think that it is definitely worth playing it for sure. Now, you know, like I I would recommend it to anybody. You know, I prefer the Sega CD one. I think that if you're just going into it for the first time and you want something like a like a bigger experience like the like the the playstation version is is fine i i feel as though if you play the sega cd version first you might appreciate some aspects of the playstation one after after you play the the original but i it's hard to say if it would go the other way if you played the playstation version first and you tried the sega cd one would you be like oh you know it's like missing this stuff it's it's not not fun, but the the thing that I like about the the Sega CD version is that it is yes it is an old school RPG, but there's nothing about it that makes it feel like inaccessible. Uh, yes, I feel as though even people who don't have a lot of experience with RPGs like at all period could go into it and basically figure it out and would like enjoy the the storyline as as if they were reading a book. I guess like it's just it's you know it's a simple story but it's I used to always joke I didn't read a lot of books growing up but I'm like oh I played a lot of RPGs though (laughs) like (laughs) RPGs are like my book which is kind of a stupid thing to say but also like I think that that probably is true for a lot of people 
but there's nothing about it that feels inaccessible. And I, I would recommend if you have any kind of interest in RPGs, period, you should give at least one version of this, of this game a try to see what the big deal is, or also just, you know, appreciate the history of it. Nicely said. Nicely said. Thank you. All right. <laughs> this brings us to the end of the episode. I think it does. Officially now. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, for the record, third best, third best RPG on a Sega, on the Sega Genesis period. This is? Yes. Yeah. Third best. My. After what? After. Lunar Eternal Blue and Fantasy Star 4. I, I could, I'd agree with that. All right. So general consensus, you should go play Lunar. Just not on the Game Boy. All right. There we go. <laughs> no. So, uh, <laughs> well, to wrap all of this up, we are reaching the conclusion of our discussion today. And first and foremost, we always like to thank our most esteemed guests. So, Corey, thank you uh, for once again joining us here on the show. It is always a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was it was fun. About, especially talk about a game that I have such a personal connection yeah. with. Thank you for being here. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fascinating to hear, uh, you know, folks personal uh, experiences with these games and things like that, especially for some of the things that perhaps we don't always have that same uh, sort of depth of knowledge with. So, yeah, definitely appreciated you having you on. And uh, before we jump into our usual spiel, if they don't already know, where can the fine people at home find you on the Internet? <laughs> Uh, well, you can find me on uh, the YouTube channel, My Life in Gaming. Uh, and recently, I started doing a podcast uh, with Chris Alemo from Classic Gaming Quarterly that is not about video games. It's basically us just BSing for a while. And then if we run out of things to talk about, we will. We have a bunch of questions we'd like to ask each other, such as like, you know, what are your top five favorite breakfast cereals? <laughs> uh, it's called, uh, here's my question for you. And we those release every Monday, and you can find that on any of the podcast things you listen to. And also, if I mean, if you are a uh, patron subscriber uh, through to My Life in Gaming or Classic Gaming Quarterly, uh, you you get video versions of those podcasts every every Monday. And the, they're on, the, those on a YouTube channel called "Here's My Question for You." You can also find <laughs> I see this still amazes me because we got this. Uh, our Twitter handle or all of our social media stuff that we got the, the handle that we got for it still blows me away. You can find us on Twitter and, or Instagram at here's my podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Isn't that That's crazy? Impressive. That, that it was never taken. It's just like at here's my podcast. So <laughs> it blows me away. That's crazy. Nice. That's about it. Fantastic. Well, you can just sit on that handle if the show ever ends and then just sell exactly. it, you know, 10 years from <laughs> <Yep>. now. <laughs> exactly. I could uh, not believe it. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> well, I suppose as far as we're concerned, if you are listening to me yak at your face right now, then that means you've already found us. So hello. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Um, you could probably go back and enjoy some other episodes because as it turns out, We've been doing this for a while and we're up somewhere around 160 something, which is bananas. But if you want to check that stuff out and you haven't already, we make it easy for you. All you got to do is head over to linktree slash retro hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash retro hangover. And you can find link to the show itself. 
You can find our social media accounts, at least the ones that haven't probably imploded by now. Who knows? <laughs> and you can also find our YouTube channel and our Twitch streams, uh, as well as our merch store and Patreon. So if you'd like to support the show in that fashion, you can do that. And speaking of the Patreon, usually I toss this over to Chris for the Twitch streams, but I feel like this is far more important. So Chris, tell the fine people what is going on over at Patreon right now. Over at Patreon, all patron levels, starting as low as $1 a month, you could be listening to The King of Games 1992. And in fact, Corey is part of The King of Games 1992, as well as Try <laughs> from My Life in Gaming. That's right. At the time you're listening to this, Corey's episode has already passed. It was Mega Man 5 versus Night Trap, and it was in the opening round, so I'm not spoiling anything. <laughs> so what do you think would win? Would it be Mega Man 5 or Night Trap, especially knowing... That wonderful documentary that Corey did on Night Trap, which one will advance? The only way to find out is to go to Patreon, or you can wait until April-ish and listen to it then. But you can find out right now for as low as $1 a month on Patreon. Go listen to The King of Games, 1992. It's a great time. Ten podcasters and content creators are all there in addition to ourselves and uh, lovely members of our community. So we had a great time recording it. I think you will have a great time listening to it. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it. There we go. That's the hard sell. We're all out of stuff to pitch to you. So I suppose with all of that being said, until next time, play with your don't you know they're made out of my joysticks. Oops. Too long. Yes. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.